Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians, if you would. Five words I was told once. Not original with me, but actually original with Paul. You are not your own. Five words that can radically change your life. And I hope that that radical change with this concept begins tonight. Our world, in fact, Alan Noble, who wrote a book with this very title, these five words, he said the fundamental lie of modern society is that you are your own. That you are your own. That you can do with your body whatever you want. The Bible says, in complete antithesis and contrast with that, that you are not your own. In fact, you belong to God. And so the predominant existential, don't let existential scare you, it just means the reason why you exist, the feel, experience. The predominant question is, has been, who am I? But I, I want to change it a little bit tonight and not ask who am I, but whose am I? I think that if you answer that question, which these five words really push us to do tonight, could change everything for you. So let me say it to you this way. Um, who do I belong to? Ask yourself that tonight. Who do I belong to? And what are the implications of this belonging on my life? Paul's going to say in a major context, it does have a ramification, a lot of it in your sexuality and your body, but there's way more. So if we're not our own, then who do we belong to? And what does that mean for our lives? Now, let me read the text for you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. I would guess you know these verses. Or do you not know? Now, that little phrase can almost organize the book of 1 Corinthians with it because that little phrase, do you not know, is used 10 times. And out of those 10 times, six of them are in this chapter. So this is the key chapter about that little interrogative question, do you not know? It's rhetorical. In other words, they're supposed to know, but they live like they're not, right? And so when it came to their body and, and sexuality, they were living like they were practical atheists, right? So if we belong to God, there are some things Paul would say, you have to know. You have to know some things. I read a book this week. It said, what you believe about sexuality will be completely determined what you believe about God. If you're going to start with what you should believe about sex, you better start with your beliefs about God because they're tied to it. And Paul would 100% agree. So he says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Now here's the reason you're not your own. For, see it? For you were bought with a price. That is slave market terminology. You were redeemed out of a market that was selling slaves. That's how that word is used. So, what's the implications for my life? Glorify God in your body because it isn't yours. Right? Now, watch this. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, the verse I just read to you, Paul is telling them why they can't be using their body for sexual immorality. Now, if you go back earlier in this chapter, if you want to talk about the kind of sex, he's not just talking about fornication or adultery. If you look back in verses 9 and 10, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers. So you got a lot of different kinds of sexuality that's perverse going on in Corinth. 
and it isn't much different today. So he's going to tell you, and here's the thing that caught my eye. He could have given him a lot of reasons why you should not be sexually immoral, okay? You could say a Bible reason, or you could say any reason you want. Why would you, if you were giving someone advice, and they said, hey, I'm going to live with my girlfriend. No, don't do that. Don't be immoral. What would you tell them? Why would you tell them not to? Whether it was biblical or not. What's a good rational reason, logical reason? I don't know, even, even selfish reason, I suppose. If you want to look at it that way. What would you tell someone? Why would you tell them, don't be immoral sexually? What would you say? Come on, there's a lot of reasons, right? So if you're married and immoral, what would, you do? What would that happen? That would break your marriage up, right? So you say, if you're married, please don't ever be sexually immoral because you'll ruin your marriage. And if you have kids, that'll really hurt them bad. So, right? It'll really kill your family. What else did you say, Greg? You could say there's health reasons not to do it. Yeah, you could get diseases, right? I mean, there's all kinds of awful things that takes place if you're sexually immoral. What else could you say to somebody? Yes. Why buy a cow to get enough for free? Yeah, I get that. I get that. And you could, if you're sexually immoral, you could have, what, illegitimate children, right? And they don't have dads around much or moms or the family's not together because it wasn't in a covenant relationship. What else could you say to somebody? It's not, well, it is now, but it's what, at one point you could have said it's not socially acceptable. You can't probably say that much anymore, but for some people it would still be socially unacceptable. I and mean, even today, in our culture, if you're unfaithful to your spouse and immoral, that still doesn't go over too well by and large in our culture. So I mean, my point is, there's a lot of reasons and more that we didn't say that Paul could have said, let me tell you why you can't use your body that way. But he didn't. What's the reason he used? Don't be sexually immoral, ready? Because you belong to God belonging was the reason for purity. Belonging. Not how it affected you physically, not how it wrecked your relationships, not the financial hazard that it would cost you if you live in America, or all the other things that we came up with. You know what it was? It was belonging. You belong to God. You're not your own. That's the reason. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. Can I li- give, let me give you a a history of sin. The very first sin, and ever since, the very biggest problem that humanity faces from Adam and Eve is a rebellion of belonging. They belong to God, and Satan told them what? You can decide for yourself what is right and wrong. That's the knowledge of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The, the tree was not a special tree, magical, but what it, here's what it symbolized. Here's what it set for, that God decides what's right and wrong. But Satan said, guess what? You can have autonomy. You don't have to listen to him, and you don't have to submit to his authority. You can call the shots. Now, now watch. That's what this text is about, right? Next slide. Heidelberg Catechism, all right? If you know anything about history, religious history, this was written over 500 years ago, right? So this is as old as Dennis, right? What is your only comfort in life and death? And now, you know, if you know anything about a catechism, I know you think Catholic right away, but a lot of people use catechisms, not just Catholic. It's just a teaching tool, 
And, and I used it with my kids around the dinner table, and we would have, it's a question and answer teaching method, right? And uh, if you see Lance tonight, he's out in the youth ministry building. So we had one, what are the three members of the Godhead? That was a question. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And he couldn't say his S's, so he said, God the Holy Parrot. And we have said that, made fun of him forever about that. But it's, it's just a teaching tool. And here's the question. What is your only comfort in life and death? Here's the answer. I am not my own. That's the answer to that question, according to the, the catechism. But belong with body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That was what they wanted their kids to learn from a very early age. And there is great wisdom in that, that realizing who you belong to, according to this, was a matter of living life and death properly. So you really couldn't get the main things about life if you didn't get this principle down. So that's why I say five words are revolutionary. They can be, because it could be a matter of life and death. So again, let me go back to it. Um, when, who we belong to makes all the difference in the world. So there, by the way, put it in your mind, there are only two choices. Only two choices. If we belong to ourselves, hear me, we are radically free to do whatever we want, which means there will be no limitations. If I belong to me, if I belong to myself, there will be no limitations. I'll have radical freedom. And by the way, that's what everybody thinks they should have today. Thus, this is about as modern as it gets. And so I should be able to take my body and I should be able to abort my baby. Why? I am my own. So if I want to abort my baby, I should be able to. It should be my choice. Why? Because I own me. I belong to me, not God. If I want to change my body and I'm a guy and I think I should be a girl, I should be able to do whatever I want to my body to be able to change it, right? And if I can deny the design of God and have a marriage between a man and a man, I should be able to do that whatever I want. And it's not just those ones that get all the... And, and, and also, by the way, if I am my own, then I should be able to divorce my wife. If I have a midlife crisis and find someone younger and better and blah, 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 I should be able to do all that. That's why... You, why does that happen? And why do we see all these famous evangelical leaders of, you know, of late and people who are traveling around the world but having women everywhere they go? Why is that? Because you are... They think they are their own. So there are only two... Either you are your own, or you are not your own. You belong to God. And let me tell you this. If we belong to ourselves, there'll be no limitations. But if we belong to God, then there will be limitations. And we will see them as the best thing possible. And so when he says, your body is a temple of holy... And earlier he says, flee fornication... And he says that there are certain things that are terribly wrong, perverse, and he calls them sin. See, there's limitations. There'll be limitations of what we will and will not choose to do. We do not have the freedom. And can I tell you, because we're all in here tonight, our teenagers need to hear this more than anybody else. Because they grow up in a world that's bombarded, bombarded with social media and every possible message all day long, every day on the internet, and the, the constant 
refrain is, you are your own. You should not let your teachers tell you what to do, your parents tell you what to do, your church tell you what to do, especially with your body. And I'm not here to, you know, to decide tonight the discernment of whether you should have 47 piercings on your face or your body covered with tattoos and all those things. But I can tell you this, everybody who does those things and all the things that we've talked tonight have a belief about their body and whether it's theirs or God's. And so let me tell you this. So here's what Paul would say, and if I was preaching this only in a sexual sense, here's the big line. If you belong to God, then what you do with your body matters. If you belong to God, then what you do, everything, and I don't mean just sexually, everything you do with your body matters, including, you know, how you eat, what you eat, all that kind of stuff, it matters. Some of them have more dire consequences than others, but they all are consequential and here's what Paul says. Your body is not yours. Now watch. What are the practical applications for that as well? The principle is, you are not your own, therefore God belo- you bo- your body belongs to God. Now watch how it carries over from vertically to horizontally. Just a few verses later, chapter 7, verse 4. In marriage it says, For the wife does not have authority over her own body but the husband does. In other words, wives, you are not your own. Your body is not your own. You know who's, it's your husband's. Now watch, reciprocal, mutual. It says, likewise, in the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. See how it works? And that's in the context of sexuality. So he says, listen, what you see between you and God and why you can't do what you want because Jesus is Lord and he paid the price for you, the the verse, paid the price for you. See, that's why God can say to you, live this way. Why? Because here's what true using your body is for. It's self-giving. That's what sex ought to be. Self-giving in a covenant relationship because God says that's the way it is between me and you. You can't just use your body to get intimacy with someone and then discard them like they're some mass-produced product. You can't do it. And the reason is because I paid for you. <laughs> I, I paid for you. I gave, I sacrificed everything so that you could have a different kind of view of that. And he says, and so carry that over into your marriage, husbands and wives. View each other that way. And give yourself to the other person sacrificially. See, that's, all, that's what it ought to be about, he says. Now, Let me give you a principle. Um, Belonging necessitates limits. Let me say it to you. Belonging necessitates limits. Someone, I'm going to give you some categories and I want you to give me some feedback. Tell me how that is true if you're married. If you belong to your wife or you belong to your husband, let me go a little further, I'll add on, and you have children, you belong to them, and they belong to you. So tell me from a spouse point of view, or tell me from a parent point of view. If you belong to them and they belong to you, why are there limits in your family? Are there mi- limits in your marriage? Tell me about it. Why is that principle true, and how is it true in a family and a marriage? What are some of those limits? What would it be? Sandy. Mm-hmm. I raised the girls. The babysitter did not 
Raise the girls. Okay. So a limit would be um, you're going to limit yourself financially because you belong to them and you're going to take care of them. Am I reading that right? Yeah, I'm going to raise them. I'm going to teach them. It's more than just feeding and clothing. It's right, you're going to teach them the ways of the Lord. Right? What else? What's the limitations? Because you belong to your wife or your family. Mike? one, you won't give yourself to somebody else. Right, so you don't have anybody, it's not a three-way relationship, right? So you're not giving yourself to somebody else. There's no one else in your relationship in any way, shape, or form. That's a limitation. Tell me, come on, if you're a parent, and, you have, and they're your kids, and they have your last name, are you telling me that you tell them to do whatever you want? Tell me some things that your kids are limited to because they are a Lariche. Go ahead. Screen time is controlled by mom. Screen time. Oh, screen time. Child. That's controlled by mom, and she has the code to every remote in the house. So you're limited. You can't be on the, the computer or watching the TV or video game. You can't do that all day long. Correct. Correct. Saturday, screen time, or during the week, school time, no, no TV. There's a limitation, right? Correct. Well, even, even as a husband, like I'm coming home, if I'm running late, I have to text her and say, babe, I'm coming home a little bit late today because if I was by myself it doesn't matter I go to work right so you gotta I'm be courteous and polite and thoughtful exactly. right yes. so if you're gonna be late you're not gonna say hey I'm sorry I'm 30 minutes late I mean, you know you're gonna call and tell it's her right accountability and you know like dinner's gonna be ready they're waiting they don't know where you are you gotta let them know okay yeah yeah good good what else why are there limitations yes Okay, good. So you're going to limit your kids' interaction with other kids, especially the opposite sex when they're growing up. That's a limitation. James? When you have teenagers, you're going to have curfews for them. They can't, they can't stay out late past a certain time. Right? They can't stay out all night? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ray? Okay, good. So she's limited. She can't just date anyone she wants. Salvation's required, right? Because God requires it. Yep, Sarah Joy. You'd be taffy, right? Yeah, right. So, so when you belong to something, okay, Mike. I think in the context of the passage, is talking about your. You're not going to limit, because you are belong to somebody else, you no longer are free to be your own necessarily. If you're in a marriage relationship, you don't have to, you know, you can't just go out and not think about your wife or do something. And, you know, you need to be considered, you need to be thinking of her and, and putting her above you and loving her like Christ loved the church. Yes, absolutely. So that's a limitation, you know. That's, that's yes, so, so if, you belong, if you belong to Faith Baptist Church, you're a member. What does that mean? Are there limitations with that? I'm sorry, Barb. Yeah, you're a member here, so that means you have priorities, and it changed your values, and even though sports was nice, it wasn't going to override this, right? I hear you right there. What else? If you are... If you belong to your company, John, are there any limitations? <laughs> what would be a, a limitation that you belong to? 
uh, that makes you because you belong. Mm-hmm. Can you start your job on a given day and end your work anytime you please? <laughs> but you're high up there, right? So you still don't get that? No, all right. So the point is, right, that's not uncommon for us to realize that all levels of life, belonging to something means, right, that there are limitations. There are going to be limitations for all of us. So let me say it to you this way. If we belong to God, the knowing and abounding by His limits enables us to live the way that we are created to do. Now, why does that matter? Because our teenagers think that there is no true freedom unless there are no limitations. And guess what? That's not true anything in life. So there, are, there is no such thing as true freedom that means no limitations. Every, if you belong as an American citizen to this country, are there limitations of what you can and can't do? Go down Coozer Road at 75 miles an hour and you'll find out. Because hmm. you, you won't get away with it. Not forever. Right, because there are limitations of what you can and can't do. Just watch the news. You, you, there are a bunch of people who think that that's not true. Right? So, you, so here's what's true. But our kids don't get it. They think that you're really an ogre as a parent when you put limitations on them. But you know what you're telling them? You're telling them that's the meaning of belonging. You belong to our family. There's limitations. You belong to our church. There's limitations. You belong to God above all else. There are limitations, Paul says. So I'm going to give you the, write them down if you want to study yourself. I mentioned it earlier. Ten times... Ten times he says, do you not know? Chapter 3 and verse 16. Chapter 5 and verse 6. And then our chapter, the bulk of them, chapter 6, verse 2, 3, 9, 15, 16, 19. And then he closes with the last two of chapter 9, verses 13 and 24. Now, here's what I did. I don't, I'm not going to do it with you tonight. But if you want to do it, I wrote down the phrase that came after do you not know in every one of those verses I wrote all ten of them down and it's amazing that like a, a framework the first one says do you not know that your body is the temple of God now toward the end in our chapter it, here's what it says do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit now those are almost identical phrases that begin and end this list and I'm thinking to myself because I've studied Corinth Corinth was probably the fifth biggest Roman city in that part of the world. It was big. It would have been equal to probably two and a half, three times of Hamilton, which doesn't sound big today, but back then, 200,000 people was a lot. So it was a big city. It was eight miles in diameter. It was a very large city. Um, But here's one of the things that marked it. It was filled with pagan temples to all kinds of Uh, Greek and Roman gods and goddesses. And what they were known for, without being too graphic, is they were known for one of the acts of worship that the gods appreciated the most was temple prostitution. And you can imagine all the other stuff that went along with that, right? And that was the big part of it. So in a culture like that, 
It's not a surprise. Now listen to the words again now, knowing what Corinth is like and how they lived and they were living their whole life that way until they met Jesus. And now they're told, oh, by the way, that's not your temple system. This is. Do you know your body, and I mean body, meaning your physical body, but he also means your body, the church body? Because by the way, you can't belong to Jesus and not belong to his body, right? So these people who tell you, hey, I love God and I know Jesus, but I don't go to church. I don't really need that to worship him. There's a Greek word for that, hogwash. You know why? You can't tell Jesus you love him and you don't like his wife. He doesn't favor that too well. Because if you, if you belong to him, you belong to his body because he's the head of it and he died for it. And so here's what I learned. Everything in these passages is telling you how to live as your body is God's temple in a world of pagan temples. In a world that is so corrupt that they even think that the acts of sexual perversion are worship. That's not far off 21st century America, no? So that's what our kids live in, and that's what we live in. So go back and read all those 10 statements I gave you, and read them like this. What do I need to know to live in God's temple system other than the pagan temple system. What is real worship? How would God want me, what would he want me to know about him and about his life and what he's done and what it is to be in the church that I would live differently like that? So I am my own is a kind of freedom that says that it's limitless. And that means, right, watch, if I believe that I am my own, then I will define my own identity. Let me read those verses again for you. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexual, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers. Nor they will not inherit the kingdom of God. See the framework, verse 9 and verse 10? It begins and ends with the phrase, you will not inherit the kingdom of God, because he wants you to understand what's at stake. So figuring out who I belong to and what the implications are for my body has eternal ramifications. You will not inherit the kingdom of God if you get these five words wrong. And then watch what he says now. Now he's going to tell you why it's wrong, because you are not defining your identity. If you're a Christian, God gives it to you. And he says, and such were some of you. That's what you were. It's not just something you did. It was what you were. And but he says, but, but, now no, it's contrast. But let me tell you this. When you became a Christian, you got a new identity because Jesus paid the price. When he buys you out of the slave market of sin, he now tells you, this is who you are. And when you are told by God, this is who you are, you are not your own, you get a new identity. And with a new identity comes new activities. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Same verb. You were this before. It's like the before and after pictures of the, you know, the Tide commercial. You know, look how this and this, this white. This is what you were. You were 
justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That same Spirit, verse 19 and 20, that lives in you that makes God, makes your body God's temple, he says. Um, there's a book that I read recently, and it was telling about, um, this is a true definition, it's a word called zoocosis. Have you ever heard of zoocosis? It's zoology term for psychology of animals that are put in zoos. And the article was about a lion. And they said, if you ever been to the zoo and a lion that was taken from Africa and brought to an American zoo so you could see it up close, this is what they do a lot. <laughs> you ever see a lion just pacing back and forth? That's zoocosis, <laughs> according to them. You know, our world has lion psychologists now, I guess. But, um, but the idea is that's what you do back and forth. Here's what the article said. Because they weren't made to live in there. And the article went on, and I won't give you all the details, and it shows you all what the people who take lions captive, and a lion in, in captivity, and, and what they do. They try to mirror their environment. So they, t you know, make it a little bit, you know, a water there, and, they, you know, and the surrounding, a little sand or desert, or, you know, and, and the environment, they try to match it. But they said that animals don't live nearly as long in that kind of environment, although it looks like and smells like the one they came from. And the reason is they know different. It's not the same. It's not the same. And so they get psychosis, and they don't know what to do with themselves, they say, and they walk back and forth, because that's, and you can try to replicate it, but they weren't made for that environment. Can I tell, listen, listen, tell your kids. See, there's, is there such thing as human zoocosis? Your kids and us, we weren't made to live in this kind of world. We weren't made to live here. You know, we are in a world that it, it, we're, we were born in captivity, right? So, so we have a problem in our world. We, don't, we shouldn't be thinking the way that they do, living the way that we do, but we're surrounded with it. And, and I can tell you, in my opinion, because people haven't figured out that they are not their own and they think that their unfettered or unrestrained limitations and desires are where it's at, this is why we have people who are depressed, anxiety, um, fear, and on and on it goes, because there is really a psychology to it. But belonging to Christ necessitates that there will be limits, and then God will change our identities, our morals, our ethics, and our values. Now, one last thing. Look at the verse a little more carefully. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which, is, which you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. In first century Roman towns, slaves had no legal status. Um, you could sell them literally as if you were selling a used car. Um, they would put on a block and often without clothes, and they were sold to the highest bidder literally. And that's how people were looked at. And so Jesus says, listen, you were bought out of that slavery. Now, it doesn't say exactly who the former owner was. I take it from Romans 6 and other places that the former owner and master was sin. If you read Romans 6, Paul tells them in the Roman world, 
in this book, he says, you were, before you were saved, you were the slaves of sin and the slaves of unrighteousness. And now, watch, now you are the slaves of righteousness and the slaves of God. Christianity is not going from slavery to no slavery, from master to no master, from some slavery to, to ultimate limitless freedom. That's not Christianity. Paul says, read it for yourself. You went from this kind of slavery to this kind, from this kind of master to this kind. And the joy of the Christian life is that I now have the master who treats me right and gives me the limitations that'll bring the most joy and happiness possible into my life and existence. See, that's what it is. And kids all over the world today, and and some of them in our churches, are trying to get away from God and church because they think that there's freedom in it. There won't be anybody to tell me what to do with my life. What they don't know is they just invited themselves into the worst slavery possible. And here's what Paul says. You know what your former owner was? Sin. And it was going to ruin you and send you to hell. But I paid the price for you when no one else would have wanted you. I did. And that price was his precious blood. That's what moves us. So if we find it difficult every day, and it would be, and it is difficult, to live a life of self-denial, choosing limitations that come with following Jesus and taking up his cross, What we have to do in order to do it and to teach our children is we have to have a regular gaze on Calvary. There has to be a focus on the cross because Jesus paid for us there. And we have to teach our kids that the greatest joy is Jesus' slavery, however bad that thought and term is used today. When it comes to being used with Jesus, it is a great term. It is the greatest joy is slavery to him and to what he has in store for us. If I belong to myself, then I'm responsible to determine right and wrong. If I belong to myself, I determine my identity. I tell you what I will and won't do. I'll tell you if there's any authorities in my life. But if I belong to Jesus, it changes everything because I'm not my own. Just for a minute today, and we're going to close. Bow your heads, actually, and close your eyes. Think for a minute over this day. Just today. All the things you said and you did. I encourage you, by the way, a little upside with your eyes closed. Practice at the end of your day what I call a daily audit. Just daily audit yourself and ask yourself, how did I do with my relationship with God and others today? Go back and talk about your conversations you had, the words you used, the attitude you had. Right? But think about it today. How would your day have been different today that if along the way, numerous times, when you had to make a decision or do something or say something, if before you did it or said it, you would have said this quietly to yourself in your heart, I am not my own. You are not your own, Lance. You're not. Oh, so I don't get to decide whether I'm going to say it that way or do that? No, you don't. You're not your own. How would your day have been different? Now, compound that thousands and thousands of times. How would your life be different if regularly you said this, I am not my own? When you didn't feel like doing something, you know you should have, oh, I'm not my own. Oh, and I wanted to use my, I can't, that's not my, my money, that's not my money. That's not my time, that's not my calendar. That's not my agenda. That's not my business. 
How would your life be different? See, it could be that radical. Those five words could change everything. Father, help us. Help us to see the ramifications of the cross. It is not just, as great as it is, it is not just a ticket out of hell and a given to heaven free pass. It is those things. But it, it packs us now. Jesus paid the price for us. Therefore, we need to give him our bodies and glorify him, it says. Make much of him in our bodies every day in all of our choices and what we do. It's not just sexuality. It's everything because we belong to you. May we understand belonging more and practice it better by the power of your spirit because we've been together tonight in this passage. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.